because of the way the universe is created, we each of us live in two worlds at the same time. We have to live in the outer life of our own bodies and the inner life of our own souls. Hello and welcome to Living the Inner Life. I'm your host, Chris Sheridan, and I want you to join with me on a journey into our inner lives, our thoughts, feelings, emotions, and how we can use the tools of consciousness to improve our total life in our outer world with our relationships with people and inside how we have a relationship with ourselves and improve that. And we have these tools of consciousness to use to do that, to grow and to improve inside and out. So one of the things people do and have done for thousands of years is incorporate ritual into their lives, whether this is on a holiday or a special rite of passage or maybe even a little thing you do every day. Now, we do little things every day, or we can, and sometimes we call them rituals, but sometimes they're really just routines. If it's getting out of bed and making the coffee and sitting outside on the patio and maybe reading in your book or something, that can be ritualized, uh, but it might just be a routine. Okay, and I'll give you an example from my life and what I do in the morning. A lot of times I get up and I go in the bathroom and I scoop the litter box. Okay, I do that every day. It is a routine. It is not really a ritual. Although if you want to say that cleanliness is next to godliness, maybe I'm practicing that. I'm helping to take care of the two cats <laughs> because they want to have a clean litter box and that's kind of a nice thing. But that's not really a ritual. Okay, there's another routine I do every morning that is more of a ritual. And I have this prayer a day book. It's 365, well, 366, because it includes leap years for when you have them, uh, book. And I've turned it over probably 15 times, and I've rarely missed a day where I open the book to the day of this day, read the morning prayer. It's very short. It's a paragraph and then another two sentences that kind of sum it up to reiterate it. And that's my takeaway. That can be my touchstone for the day. And actually, before I even open the book, I ding a bell. It's actually one of the singing bowls. And I'll hit it with the, the wooden mallet and it makes a dong. So for that time, that's sort of opening sacred space. And I read the prayer and I add the serenity prayer on top of that. That's part of my sobriety. And then when I'm done with that, I close the book, put the band around it, put it back on the shelf, and hit the singing bowl again with a mallet to make another ding to close sacred space. Okay, so that's a little more of a ritual. Even though it's a routine that I do it daily, it's more of a ritual because it's something that I sanctify. Because the word ritual is actually part of the word spiritual. So spirit, ritual... That's how you get spiritual. So to make a routine, a ritual, you have to spiritualize it in some way. Now that can be making a cup of coffee and going out and sitting on the patio. If you're communing with nature, if you're connecting with the clouds and the sky or the horizon or the animals maybe you see if you live near nature or the people that are walking their dogs in the park or whatever you can do, or look outside of your apartment window on, you know, 33rd 
street and Fifth Avenue and and see all the people in the taxi cabs bustling around, whatever it is, if you're somehow connecting with life, with a more spiritual part of life, something greater than yourself, something to aspire to, that can become more of a ritual. Now, historically, tribal cultures, ancient religious cultures, and even modern ones have, from time to time, rituals that people participate in. It's a way of connecting the community with each other, with the church, if that's the case, uh, with the lesson. Now, it used to be that we had a lot more. More rituals were more part of our lives. Some cultures still do that. Uh, In the West, there aren't too many. There's bar mitzvahs and the Quentin Centera, which I'm sure I'm saying wrong. Uh, There are various ones like that that come up for different rites of passage in somebody's life. It used to be that getting a driver's license was almost a a ritual. It was something you look forward to, and you'd have a parent maybe teach you how to drive or go to driver's ed, and then, oh, let's go take the driving test, and you know, and then you drive for the first time by yourself and all this stuff. Um, because in our modern times, and again, this is probably something that we're not really putting as much emphasis on now, um, but a car-based culture, at least in America, it was like, okay, now you're, for me, it was freedom. It was, you know, uh, I can leave the nest. I can fly, uh, not literally, but I can get out of the house and I have, you know, power. It was kind of like manhood or adulthood, of course, if you're, you know, whatever gender, uh, that you're now responsible. You have this power that you didn't have before. You don't have to ask for a ride. Okay. You have this power, and with it comes responsibility. Of course, 16-year-old with a driver's license, a lot of times, at least as far as guys are concerned, (laughs) there's not a lot of responsibility. That's why the insurance rates are higher for girls, or higher for guys than girls, because apparently girls are a little more responsible drivers at that age, and probably any age. Go figure. But back to ritual. To make something a ritual, it has to be more than just the thing itself. Okay, it's what it points to, or it's what it alludes to, or what it honors, what it exemplifies, what it magnifies. And usually that's an inner thing. Even though there's this outer thing, or actually because there's this outer thing, you still have an inner experience with this. Okay, the inner and the outer are working together. So if, say, in an older culture, let me give you an example. Um, many cultures have some version of this. I don't know how many left still do this, but historically, uh, there are puberty rites, uh, very visceral events uh, that a young, usually men, um, would go through at age 12, 13, whenever uh, the tribe, uh, the culture felt uh, that this person was ready. And the whole tribe is in on it. The whole culture, the whole community is in on this. The young people don't know because they haven't experienced that. And it's kept a secret up until then. Even the boys who a year before, who are now men, had gone through this, they don't tell you. It's a secret. And it's very important to keep that a secret. Because when you experience 
the ritual that's supposed to do something for you inside, you don't want to have any heads up. You don't want, oh, I know what's going on. You don't really want to ruin it because some of these are very dramatic, okay? And for an example, what has happened in the past is in the middle of the night when these, you know, a handful of boys are ready for this becoming a man, you're not going to become a man overnight, biologically, psychologically, philosophically, and really in any other way, you're not going to just wake up and, okay, I'm a man. But going through this rite, this rite of passage, which is highly ritualized, highly dramatic, very much involving the body, you go through something, you experience something, and you are changed at the end of it. And it goes a little something like this. The boys are woken up in the middle of the night very harshly. There's a tribal leader with a mask, and you're grabbed, and you're pulled from the clutches of your mother's arms, and the mothers are screaming, don't take my baby, no. It's just, of course, they're in on it. They know what to do. But you play along because this is important for the young boy to become a man, and they're taken away, ripped away from the tribe, away from the camp or wherever you're living, the village. And you're taken off into the woods, sometimes buried up to your neck. Uh, you could be sent in a cave or a kiva or some chamber. And you're left out there. You may have to fend for yourself. You may have to survive a night or two in the woods without much help or clothes or anything like that. It's very dramatic, very frightening, and at the end of it, you're brought back into the tribe, into the culture, and then you're treated differently. Your parents will treat you differently, and they will treat you like a man. No, you're supposed to do this. Well, now you, now you are old enough to go on the hunt with the older boys or the young men, whereas before you weren't permitted. So you're opened up to new permissions and abilities, responsibilities within the tribe. And you're also no longer able to do some of the things that you used to do because those are for children. Okay. But the point is, is that you're brought through this very dramatic, very visceral. It so much involves the body. And of course, it's a mind trip too, because you're pulled out and stuck out in the woods. Uh, some of them used to be actually very, very dangerous, that if you survived physically, then then you're a man, uh, you know, sent out off on a boat or something out in the sea. And if, you know, you wash up on shore and you're alive, well, okay, you're a man. And if you don't, well, then that's it. Uh, so most of them really weren't that dangerous, but the danger is there, okay? And it's very dramatic because you involve yourself in such a way it's not an intellectual exercise. Okay, well, it's well, you're 13 now. It's time to be a man. You really have to go through something. And if you survive this, and how well you survive this will determine your position in the tribe. And again, forever change because you've gone through something. You've endured an ordeal. A lot of these rites of passages are some kind of ordeal that you have to survive. Even Secret societies, uh, brotherhoods and fellowships and masons and things like that have very highly ritualized dramas, they're sometimes called, uh, where it's, you know, you're play acting 
in this sense, but you don't know if you're blindfolded and pulled off somewhere or if you're, you know, thrown out in some place you don't know and have to find your way back or have to go through a series of chambers or like a, you know, one of those escape rooms, you know, find your way out. Um, there's usually a way for you to do it. It can't be too impossible or, you know, you wouldn't really continue with the, uh, with the tribe. Um, but it has to be enough of an ordeal that when you're finished and you've gone through it, you feel like you've survived something, that you've accomplished something, that oh, I made it, <laughs> you know, and you might get a name, you might get scarred, you might get tattooed, pierced. Again, these very, very physical things that seem so outer, but that's not the point. It's not an outer exercise to be an external event. It's an outer experience that forces you, compels you to have an inner transformation. Okay. All this outer stuff is for the inner, whether it's a dramatic you know, rite of passage, like I was describing, or uh, in the case of a bar mitzvah, there's a lot of studying you have to do. Uh, and I've had friends that have gone through this. And I was actually, once I realized what was involved or what people had shared, um, I was terrified for them. It's like, oh my God, you have to do all that. That's, you know, what are you going to do? And they're nervous. And uh, of course, make it through. I've been to many uh, growing up and, and supported uh, my friends going through that. Uh, but one of the really great things about that, and I think we're really missing that in this culture, is that the community's involved. Everybody's involved. Yes, you're put up through this ordeal. You have to memorize passages or recite things and you have to perform. You have to answer questions. You're, you're really, you know, put a, put against the wall <laughs> to perform and, and, uh, show that you're worthy of this rite of passage. But everybody's involved. So there's all this support as well because it's important okay and it's more than symbolic it's really an internalized experience through an outer action so again this is how the inner life and the outer world are connected in such a strong way and in this case it's the outer action that produces the inner experience it's not just a thought thing and that's true with a lot of things, a lot of maybe even most of the ways that we can have an inner experience is through an outer action by being able to do so. I can explain uh, or, you know, share something I did when I became a pilot. There's a ritual <laughs> that happens. Uh, you get your tail feathers clipped. Basically, they rip your T-shirt uh, from the back. That's your tail feather and sign it, your flight instructor, the date of your solo flight, and, and all this stuff. It's very uh, highly ritualized, and it's, you know, it's a sacred thing. And you kind of know it if you're going through flight training. You know, you, you're probably aware of, of this thing, and you look forward to it. And it's a big deal because you're now able to fly an airplane without an instructor. You can fly solo. That's like a bird being kicked out of the nest, you know, you fly or die, you know, you have to do this thing. 
And again, everyone's in on it. The people at the airport, your flight instructors and uh, you know, people that, that uh, gas up the planes, you know, they're all there to support you in this. But you're forever changed. Uh, that was an amazing rite of passage for me. I remember my first solo flight and <laughs> when my instructor said, okay, uh, and she got out of the plane and said, okay, go up and give me three touch and goes and, and land and uh, we'll see you then and shut the door. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I looked over at the <laughs> right seat and there wasn't a flight instructor there for the very first time. I was going to fly a plane by myself. And honestly, for a second, it felt like part of the plane was missing, a very important part, like the wing or the tail <laughs> or something. It's like, ah, there's this empty seat. And what do I do? Uh, of course, I'm trained and I, you know, hopefully knew what to do. And certainly my instructor felt <laughs> I was ready at that point. But it was a rite of passage and it was ritualized. And the community, in this case, the pilot community, at my local airport was in on it and they grabbed me and ripped my shirt and, you know, got out the Sharpie and wrote, <laughs> wrote the date of my solo flight and, uh, the tail number of the plane, things like that. Uh, and then you really feel like, okay, now I'm a pilot, you know, now I know how to fly a plane or actually more realistically, I now have the right to learn how to become a pilot at that point. Yes, you can mechanically handle an airplane, but it's really, in a way, a new beginning because now I can really learn how to fly. I can really learn the sky, really learn the wind and the wings and how I can grow as a pilot. But this rite of passage, I think we need those. I think we're lacking those in our culture, and it may be part of the reason why there's troubles with youth. Uh, which leads into adulthood, you know? And a lot of these, like I was talking about puberty rights or, you know, from boy to man or girl to woman, that you, a lot of times that for girls, honestly, a lot of times that used to be childbirth. <laughs> that was your, there you go, you're pregnant, now you have a baby. Okay, good luck, you're a woman now. Um, no, I'm sure there were there were more than that, but I, I can speak for the, the stories that I've certainly read about and uh, learned from my teachers. Um, is this connection, and you feel like you're part of something bigger. You're bigger than you were, and you're part now of the adult group. And since in the West, especially in America, we don't really do that that much. You know, it's not getting your first beer, or getting your driver's license, or even your pilot's, that's not really enough. You know, it's an accomplishment, or by age, you're able to do that. Uh, certainly going in the military, um, I don't know how spiritual it is, but it is definitely a transformative act. You know, your head shaved, you're, you're given a number, not your name. You're all the same. You'll all wear the same clothes. You all have to do the same thing, eat the same food. There's no individuality at all. I haven't been in the military, but relatives and, and friends certainly have. And then you become something else. Then you become a Marine and you become this. And then you're part of, of that group or that brotherhood. Okay. But for civilian life, uh, especially for teens, I think since we have for so long, for so many thousands of years, had some version of that in more, you know, let's say primitive cultures, but 
maybe they were more advanced in how to treat somebody and how to help them grow and become part of the community, part of the tribe, part of the culture. Okay, And that may be behind why some people are attracted to gangs. Because, I mean, you know, let's face it, if you are to join a gang as a youth, well, you have to have some sort of initiation. You have to maybe spray paint uh, your school or a wall somewhere, do some crime. Okay, then, ah, then you're, then you're one of us now. And they'll give you a nickname. Uh, some gangs have rank, like in military, um, do, I mean, you're part of it. And these are usually young men, uh, probably maybe not too much older than you, but you're given respect in the sense that, hey, good job. You know, even if they're rewarding bad behavior within the tribe, this gang, you are accepted and in some ways respected in a way that maybe you aren't at school or a lot of these kids that are drawn to that. It's circumstance. Uh, maybe there isn't that much of a parental presence at home. Uh, maybe school isn't interesting. Maybe the school sucks. Unfortunately, there's a lot of that. Uh, so that's not really enough to pull you out or to become part of that. Schools can be, face it, schools can be kind of horrible when it comes to different cliques and who's accepted and who's the in-group and who's the out-group. I think if it's a public school, you should all be equal and treated that way. Not always the case. But this attraction then to a gang is... It's understandable because you're getting something that I think our collective psyche, our DNA that goes way back has always had that. And not so much in modern times, not so much in Western culture. So I think it's really important uh, that we bring in ritual into our lives that makes something honorable, makes something... Yeah, like my sister, when she became a woman by getting her period, my mom took her out of school, they went shopping, they had a girl day, you know, they made it special for what is, you know, probably a difficult and traumatic experience, uh, it's biologically what, what, you know, most young girls have to go through at a very awkward time in their life anyway, but made something special about it, okay? So take your routine and ritualize it. Make it part of something else. Make it connect you with nature or with other people or a deeper part of yourself. You know, something larger than yourself or the self that you think you are. Something that will point you in the direction to become something more. All right? So make your routine a ritual. Find some way to spiritualize it. Nature's a great way. Prayer is a great way. Anything you can do that brings you closer to something that's deeper, something that's higher, something that's more valuable than just a routine, just another thing that you do on just another day. And you can make every day special that way. All right? So here's to you. Here's to your ritual. Make it spiritual and connect yourself to this larger part of life, this larger part of your community, and this larger, more awesome part 
of yourself. And we'll see you next time here on Living the Inner Life.